Welcome to OceanFit's Onshore Podcast, where Andre Slade, that's me, meets the unordinary people of the open water swimming and water safety community onshore to talk about their adventures, lifestyle and passion for the offshore. In this episode, I met up with Michelle Boots, the founder of the Same Wave Initiative that opens up surf lifesaving to people with disabilities. Okay, we're here with Michelle Boots. She's a life member of Pambula Surf Lifesaving Club, which is the most southern surf club in New South Wales, yep. part of the greater southern coast. Far Grace, south coast. Far south far coast. Far south coast branch. Uh, branch. Uh, she's also the creator of the Same Wave Initiative for members with disabilities, and we're going to talk about that uh, a little bit later because it's just an amazing initiative. And excitingly was most recently awarded the Bega Valley Citizen of the Year. That's quite the title, Michelle. <laughs> yeah, it was an honour. It was a surprise. Um, yeah, nice, nice to get. I've only known you for a day, but just to give listeners an idea of uh, the type of person you are, we met at a swim yesterday morning. Uh, it was my first swim for a few months. Had a coffee together and a bit of a chat, and next minute I was invited to stay the night and woke up this morning to a beautiful bacon and egg breakfast. <laughs> Which you had to cook on you. <laughs> wow. Have to pay my way somehow. <laughs> yeah. So, Michelle, it's been a crazy year down here. This part of the country was ravished by bushfires and I mean, that went around the world and just driving from Lake's entrance the other day to Eden and now on to Pambula and Marimbula. Uh, the whole place is just wiped out, burnt trees everywhere. It's just the scale of it is just horrendous. Uh, you've also been through droughts down in this part of the world uh, and now having to deal with COVID-19. It's been quite a wild ride. Being a part of it and being right in the middle of all that, what's it like to be a in, the, in a community that's just had so much in the last six months? Um, I think it just makes you realise how good it is to actually live in a small community, just to see everybody supporting each other. Um, people offered beds in their homes, um, food, all sorts of things, and it, it made you proud to be a member of the community. Um, sad to see some of the kids at school who lost their homes. Um, coming to school without uniforms and just looking lost. That was really tough. Um, but we're strong and we will get through it. We had great leadership by um, Christy McBain, our mayor. She was fabulous. Um, yeah, it was, it was okay. But we certainly didn't get the damage that so many others did. We, we were lucky. Yeah. And the surf clubs... Uh, down here, you know, some of them were more involved than others, but Surf Life Saving is well known for not just looking after their beaches, but also being a part of the community. And the, the surf clubs down here rallied around to make sure that they were able to help out as much as possible. Yeah, yeah. Um, up at Bermagui, the um, the clubbies who got caught there um, with the George Bass, a lot of them could have come home, but they stayed and they helped with first aid and cooking um, because a lot of People from outlying areas had to go into Bermagui and um, they just set up a kitchen and worked really, really hard. Um, it was really hard, I think, on those volunteers seeing what they saw 
Uh, it really did affect some. I've got a girlfriend who was quite affected by it, but they got in there and did what had to be done. And that's the that's the clubby spirit, and even more so the the small town spirit, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. What's the the lasting memory that you have from those fires when it was really at its peak? Remember, probably the worst for me. My sister had been here for Christmas and. They had a ferry booking booked for going from Melbourne back to Tasmania and seeing her drive out the driveway, knowing that she was heading to an area with no reception. At that point, we couldn't see the lake, which is 200 metres from our lounge room. Knowing that she was going into a, a fire zone that at the time on the maps was okay, but knowing that she wouldn't be able to probably communicate with us if something went wrong. That was really frightening. That was the probably the hardest thing. And the nights, just not being able to sleep at night because you're checking your phone all the time for the the watch and warnings on the on the phone. So you're just always on edge. Yeah. Yeah. For quite a few days. And the smoke. The smoke was really thick. Um, hard to breathe sometimes. Yeah, it was really thick. And you're a part of a ocean swimming group down here. We uh, met up with the group yesterday. Um, swimming during those times is a was a bit of a release from the the real world, wasn't it? It was a bit of normality. That was. Um Really good, you just get in the water and even though we had to swim through all the, the silt and the black ash and getting bark in your teeth, it was still good to be doing it. Um, yeah, just calm you down and centre you, I suppose, and so, to be with others around you, supporting each other at the time. So we even saw some of the ash falling in the water in Bondi, I remember, over the summer, but it must have been... Yeah, pretty crazy here. Oh, it's just black everywhere. And not only ash but also branches, like the areas that we would normally just swim and see sand. We were seeing bits of trees and all sorts of stuff in the water that had, you know, been burnt and washed down and, yeah. And the, the shoreline around Mitchie's where you went yesterday would have been probably about three metres wide of just black along the side. And Pambula Beach was also so black um, when they started nippers, the council came in and had to actually clear a lot of that away so that the nippers could actually do the thing on the sand. It was pretty bad. But these communities are pretty resilient, even even nature is. When we drove through the other day, the, the trees are already green. Things are kind of bouncing back. Does it feel like the communities? somewhat back to normality, even in a time when it's hard to get normal? Yeah, I don't know if it's back to normality because we had the, the coronavirus hit straight after. Um, there's an awful lot of people suffering. If you go down the shopping centres and we just don't have the people that we used to have. A lot of shops are closing. They were doing it tough before the fires and it's got a lot worse. Would there be some resentment that COVID's kind of come in and taken the, the focus away from the fires because it was so close? 
I can imagine that some of the people, particularly those who had their homes burnt down and who were still waiting for assistance, um, could be feeling very much alone. Yeah, taking the attention away. It'd be very hard. G'day, kia ora. I wanted to take a quick break to tell you about OceanFit. Back in 2009, OceanFit started as an ocean swim school on the golden sands of Bondi Beach. But now, we've become so much more. We deliver our world-leading training to hundreds of swimmers every summer on beaches throughout Australia, and thousands learn from our free educational resources online. Our Swim Scout directory, available on our website and app, will help you find a swim buddy, connect with social swimming groups, and discover swim events throughout the country. You can also participate in one of our events. Escape with us on a wet and wild weekend or immerse yourself on a boutique ocean swimming holiday at home or abroad. So what are you waiting for? Dive right in at oceanfit.com.au. Enjoy the rest of this episode and swim free. And if we look to uh, your involvement in surf lifesaving, more than 25 years, it's a good stint. Yeah, 96 I joined. I, I'd grown up as a kid in Canberra, so I'd been in swimming club and royal life um, all the way through as a child and then I came down here and I was quite terrified of the ocean <laughs> and it took a while um, to get the nerve to actually go out, swim out the back and now it doesn't worry me at all. But, um, yeah, we joined because of the kids, like a lot of people who joined the movement. Um, when the kids were old enough to join Nippers, we joined um, the first year and watched what they did. And then we decided to um, do our bronze the following year and we haven't looked back since. We're celebrating 40 years of females and surf lifesaving, which, I mean, it's 2020. It just seems crazy to think that. Females have only been in surf lifesaving for 40 years. Yeah. Um, you've been in there for more than half of that time, which to you must just seem a little bit weird as well oh, because it's not like that, that. that time would go so quickly. <laughs> no. Uh, when you joined as, as a female back then, what what did it look like down here? Um, it was a lovely club to be in. Looking back, I could see that the training was nowhere near what the training is now. So I think we've come a long way in um, the kind of training that we provide our lifesavers. Not, you know, I don't want to distract from the guys who trained us, but there wasn't the system in place, there wasn't the resources in place that there are now. Um, so I think it's it's improved an awful lot in that time and um, the resources that we were talking about um, are there now for nippers which they weren't when we first started we, we made them up ourselves um, we decided what the kids needed um, so it's good that there's all these things now that we can actually just put our hands on and don't have to create especially being in a club so far away from the the main centers it can kind of feel like some of the, the metro areas get all the love and being one of the furthest or the furthest club in New South Wales, you yeah. must feel like sometimes you're on your own down here. Yep. But we've got a really strong branch, a really supportive branch. Um, and in some ways, being so far away from everybody enables you to do things that 
other clubs maybe feel that they can't do. Um, I think in some ways it can be an advantage. Yeah. Like that's why we started, you know, the same way program because we realised there was a need in our community and even though um, we did go through the right channels and stuff to get uh, support and, and approval, but we were doing things that didn't fit the normal model. Um, but because we're so far away, I think we, we just went with it and, and it worked and was successful. Yeah, and that's kind of summing up the program, but there's a hell of a lot more to it than that. So let's go back to the beginning. Uh, it was year 2000. Um, yeah. Oh, gee, what was I doing back then? I was lifeguarding on a beach in Gisborne, New Zealand, and we had just been told that we should prepare for almost Armageddon of all these boats coming in and there'll be so many people that bodies will be dropping off boats. And it was just, you know, amongst all that 2000. Oh, yeah. the 2000, yes. <laughs> Everyone thought the yes. world was going to end and all sorts That's of stuff was right. going crazy. But we ended up um, <laughs> just laying back with uh, far too many lifeguards on the beach. But anyway, <laughs> that was a long time ago, 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, tell us about the program. What is it and, and how did it come about all those years ago? It came about when we realised that for a lot of people in our community that were being denied access to a movement that we were passionate about, if they couldn't pass the regular pool swim that they needed for nippers, they basically were cut out of any life-saving activity. Um, plus the fact that if you have a child with a disability, it puts a strain on marriages and um, a lot of kids with disabilities come from single-parent um, homes and for a, you know, it's often the mum, not always, but often the mum that ends up with the, with the child raising the child. And you know, if you've got a mum who's got a fourteen year old boy, they really haven't got the ability, the strength to take their son out in the water and be safe. Um, so it 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 just made us realise that we wanted to make um, a program where people who didn't fit the regular mould of surf life saving could come and enjoy the beach and be safe on the beach. So we just adapted the regular nipper activities um, and it was very, very simple. We were really scared when we started because we, we didn't really know if it was going to work. We got some support from the teacher from the Pambula Autistic Centre who really isn't a water person and she just said, Michelle, it'll never work. It'll be terrible. It'll be never, never work. But we went ahead with it. We had five kids and ten lifesavers and we learnt a lot of lessons on the way, particularly the first season or two, um, lessons mainly about communication with people with autism. Um, for example, we, we organised picture cards so that the kids who had communication difficulty could actually work at home with their parent and see the activities that we were going to be doing and know the order that they were going to be in. Um, and at the end, to help encourage the kids to come out of the water, because a lot of them don't like getting out of the water, we had an icy pole and a picture of an icy pole. And this particular day, I hadn't gone to the supermarket on the way, I forgot. So I sent one of our cadets over to the, the um, local cafe to get some paddle pots and they came back and they were brown and the picture card had white one. And so one of our 14-year-olds with autism, he just just burst. 
out screaming and screamed and screamed and screamed. It took us a long time to work out what it was, but it was the wrong colour of the icy pole. Um, we also learnt not to change the venue because here we've got so many different beaches we can adapt and go from one to another. But we had another young man and we changed the venue to the river mouth where it was out of the wind one day and he also just broke down and screamed for a couple of hours, which was really awful to see. So, yeah, some of those lessons we learnt along the way. Um, yeah. I've since learnt a lot of those lessons myself, uh, my niece, is autistic and I and I know exactly what you're talking about when you need to tell them exactly what's going to happen and then what's going to happen and then what's going to happen after that. Yeah. What's going to happen. Yes. Um, but if you get that right, everything's easy after that, isn't it? Like, yeah. Um, and one of the activities that we do do, we do some tunnel ball um, and that requires the kids to be in fairly close contact with each other. And that was one of the things that the teacher from the autistic school said. She said, oh, they won't, they won't be able to do that. They, they don't like to be that close. And yet initially it was a bit hard, but once they got the concept, um, they get in there and they crown up together and they're as happy as can be. So some of the things that we thought they wouldn't be able to achieve, they can. So would I be right in saying that the main difference in the program is around the communication and how to adapt things, but you're not, it's not a totally different NIPA program, is it? They're still doing the same NIPA no. activities because you wouldn't want it to be a completely different program. It's just NIPAs in a slightly different way that suits the people that are doing it. Exactly. Um, so if we've got somebody in a wheelchair, we just have some very fit lifesavers running behind them and they still do the flag event, but they're just running up and down, you know, in the wheelchair. We don't eliminate people in flags. Nobody gets eliminated. Um, sometimes because we've got so many different abilities, uh, whether they're intellectually challenged or physically challenged, sometimes we'll have different staggered starting points for them when they're doing the flags. Um, sometimes we sit on a couple of our cheeky characters who think it's hilariously funny to cheat. So once you get to know their characters, you can kind of do funny things like that and they quite enjoy that. Um, it's basically individually programmed for each participant so that we we gently push them but we don't want to stress them. Um, some of our kids have done nothing but stayed on the beach for the first four years um, and then finally we make a breakthrough and get them into the water Others will happily swim to New Zealand. Um, our first year we discovered that with one of our autistic boys. He was our 14-year-old and he did not like to be touched, but he could swim really well. So we'd have to send two very competent lifesavers out with him swimming on either side. And if he got too deep, they'd have to kind of herd him back without physically touching him to stop him being distressed. Um, so, you know, some of them will go right out the back. Um, others just want to be on the beach. Others are happy in the shallows. Michelle, so. just listening to you now, you could very well just be talking about normal nippers because <laughs> it's the same. It's exactly. the same. There are people, there are nippers who go to the beach, they stand there and they don't do anything and they go home. It's just, it's just nippers. Yeah, but we have the luxury of um, a tighter ratio. We, I always try to have two people 
the nipper if possible. It doesn't always work. Whereas in regular nippers, that's a little bit harder to get that many personnel. When you first started it, was it well received within the club and the community? Did you get lots of support? Or how how was it kind of built? We've had amazing support ever since we started. We started with five kids, um, some of whom have never left us. So one little girl that we have started at five, and she's now twenty five. So it's not nippers anymore. No, we had to change the name. We changed the the name to same wave, thinking that we're all on the same wave. We're all all the same. Um, so we changed that name a few years ago because we have some of our guys are 45-year-olds. So we cater from 5-year-olds to 45-year-olds. Um, I would say the helpers have as much fun as the participants. Puts life in perspective. Um, this year, and I don't know whether this was due to the fires I still can't work it out. Every year I've done a push for more volunteers because our numbers have grown so much. We're, we've now got 18 people wanting to participate. So for me that means 36 helpers, which is a lot in a small community. Could be a whole club in some of the. So I've been pushing and pushing every year. And this year I have been overwhelmed with volunteers. We used to make it that you had to have your bronze to be a helper and we just couldn't manage numbers of the demand that we had. So then we um, kind of let that regulation go and we made sure that every child has a bronze member with them and the other person might not be bronze. But as the program has gone on for that long and we know our kids, um, a lot of them don't need lifesavers. A lot of them who want to play in the shallows, they just need someone who's got patience and a sense of humour um, who wants to make life better for someone. And so the non-lifesavers are given those. We are between the flags. Um, so we have a different shirt for those who are not lifesavers. So if something did happen, um, we have a system where they can just switch children and the lifesavers can go into action if need be, but we've never had an issue. Um, so so lifesavers changing lives... Have you seen the change that you've made in the kids or have you heard from the parents the, ch- the change that might have happened away from the beach because of their time at the beach? Yeah. Um, socially, a lot of them become a lot more confident. They've developed networks. When we initially started, all the parents would bring their their children down and the parents would sit on the beach and it became um, a very important network in a, a rural community, we do not have a lot of the services that people have in the cities. And one of the things, um, I spoke to someone who is in social services and she said the parents said that probably one of the best things of that NIPA program was that network that they were able to form as parents on the beach. And if somebody came into the area to, to live and they didn't know anyone, they can come down to the club and they can slot in and you could introduce them to, you know, one of the more experienced parents and they can tell them about all the services and all the things that their kids can do. Um, that's changed in the last few years with the NDIS. That's um, Now a lot of the kids will actually come with carers, so that's not such a strong part of the program anymore. But the kids do develop a lot of confidence. 
um, and really strong friendships. And all of those families that have uh, children with disabilities, they have other children who are just doing the normal nippers. When yeah, and normal a lot of and inverted couple comments, but <laughs> yeah, um, but it would make the whole family feel like they are they are nippers. They are yes. the life saving community, and they can join in the activities as well. We encourage that. Uh, we encourage brothers or sisters if they want to participate, they can come in, um, and also our helpers if they've got children. We encourage them to come in because then you've got this kind of a peer thing happening, which is nice. It would be really nice if we could run our nipper program, our same way program on Sunday with all the other nippers, but we haven't got the personnel to do it, so we can't. But by having um, children of some of the helpers coming in, that that's really good. What do you get out of it the most? What what's driven you that? Oh, just the joy on everyone's faces. The 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 participants, the helpers, everyone's just beaming, and you know you see a ca- a kid catch their first wave on the board, and they're just just radiant. It's just fabulous. Yeah, you you're on a high when you come home every week. Really, just seeing the joy. You've spent a little bit of time trying to um, push the program out through the state, and you've uh, wrote a resource for it. If, yeah. if we had some other clubs pick it up? Yes. Um, we helped quite a few clubs. Went over to South Australia. I was invited to go over to South Australia and speak to South Australia about the program. At that stage, um, I'd already been um, contacted by Grange Surf Club and Grange had started their program and then South Australia were interested in extending it further. So we went over there or I went over there. Um, We've been to Noosa. We got the first Queensland club with Steve Morby. He invited us up and he's done a tremendous job up there getting the program started. And, you know, his program is just so much more polished, I suppose, than ours because we're still very, very small and limited numbers. Um, He's doing an amazing job up there and the demand is enormous. He set up a trailer and now he can go to other clubs around Queensland and help them to set up the program. We also um, contacted Doug Menzies. Um, He was probably the second longest person involved with this program. They started it at Newport the year after us and they didn't know about our program. We didn't know about theirs. And when we got together, we found we were doing much the same stuff. so, yeah, Newport, we've been up to Wollongong, we've been up to Newcastle, just helping people. It's usually just a matter of giving people confidence um, that it's not difficult, it doesn't cost money, you've just got to have the passion for it. And it must make you feel really good knowing that the surf club, who's arguably the first club to offer nippers, was also the first club to offer nippers for everybody. So, yeah. Yeah, very proud. And also we've got um, um, Karen Granger. He's, she's one of our female members. She's another life member and she was the first female duck driver in Australia. And we also were the first club to train international lifesavers. Um, the Greeks came over. They couldn't speak English. This was before I became, became a trainer. 
Um, so the trainers before Peter and I were involved and they trained a group of Greek lifesavers to get their bronze medallion here. So, yeah, for a little club, we I think we punch above our weight. Very much so. So the first female IRB driver. Wow. Yeah. All the way down here. All the way down here. I remember racing IRBs in New Zealand and we always needed female IRB drivers because if you wanted to win the club trophy at the oh, IRB yeah. championships, you needed the points from the female <laughs> division. <laughs> and if you didn't have the female points coming in, you had no chance. Yeah. So we definitely could have done with some back then. Yeah. Turning attention to ocean swimming, it's another passion of yours. You're now a member of the Marimbula Mer people mm-hmm. who we swam with yesterday, and we will again today. Great day today. How did you go from being a member of the surf club into you know, into ocean swimming? Um, started swimming at Bar Beach, and developed a, a lovely group of friends at Bar Beach who. I probably was the baby of the group. Um, Most of them are retirees and some wonderful characters. And most of our Bar Beach group don't swim in winter. And I suppose each year we kind of extended our swims a little bit longer, stopping in April, then we stopped in May, and then we thought, oh, we could keep going. And then we discovered orca wetsuits and how much warmer they were. and then we discovered booties and thermal hoods and that just made it so much easier to extend our swim. And I suppose just a couple of the hardcore members from the Bar Beach Swimming Group um, just started to extend their swims and then we decided that we wanted our coffee afterwards and Bar Beach Kiosk uh, closes on Anzac Day. So in winter we started swimming from um, Mitchie's or Ford Oval and then we could go to Cranky's or Mitchie's for a coffee after. So, yeah, it just developed from word of mouth. But a lot of our swimmers are surf club people. Um, But we are starting to get a few people from out of town joining us, which is lovely. Yeah. I have to laugh because this part of the country promotes themselves as the whale, whale watching and the whales come through and... Yeah, people for years must have looked out and gone, how do those whales deal with the cold water? You know, they're wearing all this <laughs> extra layers and blah, blah, but no one thought to go, gee, I wonder whether we should wear those wetsuits. <laughs> they do make a difference. <laughs> Can't believe how much warmer you are with them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, everyone's got the gear down there now, don't they? Hoods, yeah. booties, gloves, yeah. wetsuits. Yeah, no, it's good. But really... The swimming is part of it, and then the community. Once again, the, just the community feel of the group. Yeah, we've all become really close friends, and so you can support each other when tough times happen and um, enjoy the good times. One of our members that you didn't meet yesterday, he's a lovely guy. He's a um, highway patrol officer from Malak. Oh, he was at Malakuta. He's now further south, so he has a week here and then a week back at work, and so he joins us. Um, yeah, teachers, ex-teachers, quite a few teachers, National Parks and Wildlife. Um, Megan, who you met yesterday, she probably didn't tell you, but she's head of the Australian Space Agency. 
That is just um, crazy. Comes down in a tracky dax. The first time we saw her on telly, we didn't recognise her because she was all done up. <laughs> we only oh, see sure. her in a T-shirt and a, a tracky dax. She's wonderful. What does she tell you about what she does, the head of the space agency? She tells us little bits. She was filling us all in about the um, the last launch. It was really interesting to hear about the launch and the design of the spacesuits. So, yeah, little things like that. She's she's so down to earth and just so lovely. But we're all lovely. <laughs> and you're we wouldn't let them in the group if they weren't lovely. And once you're in your wetsuits or in the winter or without them in the summer, you're just all the same, you're all just swimmers. That's right. We all look out for each other. That's what we do. We we enjoy the water and we are there to look out for each other. If we've got a slow one, make sure that they're safe. Someone who's new to swimming, just um, encourage them and support them. Sometimes it just means doing loops around somebody so that they feel that they're not holding up the whole group. Um, yeah, and people develop their skills and get fitter. I feel like you just summarised yourself. Someone who loves the ocean, loves the water, loves the community and does everything he can to help other people enjoy it. I suppose so. <laughs> Thanks for your time, Michelle. It's been fantastic. Thank you. Chat. Thank you.